whose responsibility is AI governance? I, I would say everyone, but it definitely starts at the C-level before anyone else. The C-level commitment is first and leaders being models to the rest of the organization, rest of the employees in terms of the priorities, their actions. It's about embedding those organizational values and principles into your model, into your processes and procedures, your hiring practices, your incentives, into the culture of your organization. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Introducing an exclusive new webinar series on advancing AI. It's available only online. It won't be released through the podcast, but you can join live to these webinars. So join us over breakfast from February to April by signing up in the link in the show notes. We will be interviewing leaders in the data and AI space. They will guide you through the hype and maze of technology to achieve the business transformation we all want from AI. Whether you're looking to leverage AI to optimize the customer experience or to improve your business operations, this series underpins the core elements crucial to your company's AI strategy. Featuring guests from around the globe, including people from companies like NAB, Finair, Woodside, etc. Check out the schedule, sign up through the link in the show notes or visit datafuturology.com for more information. I'm super excited to bring you this new series. Hope to see you there. Hi Merv, how are you? Doing all right, Felipe, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I wanted to kick us off by asking you about your, your background and your career journey. Can you give us a, an overview of, of your career so far and a bit of a, an origin story about what pulled you into, into AI and AI ethics? Um, how, how did you get here today? Absolutely. It's a bit of a long story, but I'll try to make it short, but it ties up at the end. Oh, I'm happy with long stories, yeah. <laughs> Uh, somehow it worked at the end. Uh, I'm the founder of AIethicist.org and Lighthouse Career Consulting. So I provide training consulting services to help build capacity for individuals as well as organizations towards ethical and responsible development as well as deployment of AI. Uh, I also collaborate with a number of organiza- international organizations to create awareness and build some um, governance, AI governance methods and systems. I'm an ethics, AI ethics instructor at RMDS Lab, um, editorial board member at Spring Nature, Springer Nature and AI Ethics Journal, um, contributor to a couple of different IEEE work groups and a for Humanity Fellow working on building an AI audit standard. So trying to juggle those. Um, but I actually started my career uh, right after my um, my undergrad um, with a German bank. I said I would never work for a bank. Uh, <laughs> and their first career was a German bank. Uh, and then when Merrill Lynch decided to come into the Turkish market, um, I was recruited as the third person into the company and was uh, tasked with building the office, Istanbul office from scratch. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so did that and next year uh, helped build a Moscow office from scratch and then 
the year after that, um, helped consolidate five of our offices in, in, in Milan, Italy. Um, wow. So there was a lot of project management and operations and um, a lot of like moving, play, moving things. Um, right after 2008 crisis, so you remember I'm working for Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. it became Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and I was asked to become country HR manager for Turkey. So did that for a couple of years. 2010, uh, I was asked to move to London, UK, uh, to join the campus recruitment team. Uh, so I was in charge of diversity recruitment, recruitment technologies, uh, recruitment process overview and benchmarking and regulatory compensation. Um, and then because of my husband's work and I left Bank of America and moved to Marriott and I was a director of sales uh, for them in Turkey, back, back in Turkey for a couple of years. But how this all connects to what I'm doing right now is um, this: the, the work allowed me, so my previous work allowed me to see uh, how changes you make in, in technology or in processes and policies can create extra obstacles for people, for certain mm -hmm. populations, right? Uh, you're creating obstacles, uh, potentially creating obstacles for them to uh, access resources and opportunities. So after 20 years of corporate work, I decided to move to nonprofit and was lucky enough to work with uh, this nonprofit in Nevada, I'm st still working obviously, uh, High Sierra Industries. Mm -hmm. So we develop learning uh, systems and technologies for people with disabilities. So um, I s am able to see every single day what um, people with disabilities are experiencing and what obstacles they have in, 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 in their way and how some of these technologies are again excluding uh, that population as well. Um, so along with that, uh, a while back, I founded, like I said, AIethicist.org, which is my platform to kind of get out of my frustration of not finding information uh, in one place. You know, it's like, why is this not in one place? If you're coming into this world of AI ethics and bias, etc. cetera. Um, so I decided to bring everything together and I, it's a platform that where I manage the content, update the content at like a couple of weeks or a couple of times a month but yeah this kind of came together with all the diversity work technology work uh, non-profit work and project stuff and different backgrounds and it just came together that's nice and when when did you get interested in ai ethics and and um how was the the journey between starting on um the, your interest in ai ethics and and then studying ai ethics uh, so the, the AI piece came with uh, the technology piece, or with the recruitment technology. So that's a relatively older one that I was at the very beginning of, like video interviews, video analysis, uh, etc. When I was still in 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 this work, and I was looking at different uh, recruitment processes for. Um, this was when I was in London, so I was able to like benchmark different banks, telecom companies, etc. Um, almost like a independent consultant against uh, you know against them uh, and I was able to see you know talk to senior recruiters okay what are you using what are your like some of the pains what are you experiencing how is this impacting your work and uh, your in your pool um, so AI started there and then ethics piece kind of rolled on from you know okay 
we are doing this on one end uh, or some vendors are doing this one end and we're implementing uh, and there are some unethical pieces within that within this or we're creating biases at one hand we're like working really hard to uh, break down discrimination increase our diversity you know create standard procedures and policies or bring in tools to you know reduce bias but on the other hand uh, because the technology is so new and unregulated and people don't understand the ins and outs of it and they to to a certain well, serious extent and especially HR work uh, they still don't um, I wanted to go in I wanted to go into that uh, but I think one of the uh, one of the stories like the initial stories years ago was uh, this experiment that I was reading where uh, this researcher group was training uh, two AIs on autonomous vehicles. One was like self-learning uh, and, you know, the, the function was go from A to B uh, as quick as possible. The other one was go through A, A to B, but these are the constraints and, you know, what ended up without, with the first one, uh, without those constraints and ethical concerns, etc. So that caught my attention, like totally uh, ir ir unrelated to recruiting stuff and HR stuff. And I'm like, ah, mm. oh, wait, wait, like, why is this happening? And I, I need to look in more into that. And it just became a rabbit hole. And <laughs> it's good. It's really good. And and was there was there a particular example that you saw in your work, maybe on the recruitment side? Was there any any example that that helped you? Um, go into this path as well was were there any things any sort of alarming things that maybe you had you saw firsthand that you could share uh seeing firsthand is in when i was doing you know like, like looking at to talking to different senior recruiters not something i implemented but um emotion analysis and facial analysis mm -hmm. uh so this was, was pretty much for for me is pseudoscience uh without any validity or any validity about success on a particular job, uh, as well as facial analysis and, you know, a lot of the effective analysis pieces being having ties back to, you know, eugenics and phrenology, etc. You know, it's like having people think of these inborn traits or physical traits uh, being, a, you know, suggestion or, you know, an indicator of, of your success, indicator of your character. Uh, so those, those, those were like the initial ones. They're like, whoa, you know, it's like, we've been there, done that in, in the past. We know where this goes. Uh, so I'm weird enough, it, it's still mushrooming <laughs> left and right. You know, it's like every single week you see another, another one of these um, uh, algor algorithms or software is being marketed. Uh, so I think we're not there in terms of spreading that word, but yeah, that was one of my first, uh, first concerns. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think, I think a lot of people, um, like it's, it's, a, I guess it's an easy place to go to in your mind to think, uh, or if we could analyze, you know, the emotions of people during an interview and you ask them a question and they get nervous, does that mean that they're, that they don't know that answer very well? But, but as you say, like it's, it's unfair because people might express emotions differently that, um, and, and it should be more their capability um, 
that that's that's a really good point. And we have we have a question from Srikanth uh, that says, uh, "Ethical AI uh, is it a myth in such a competitive world uh, where companies and countries are competing against each other and trying to to." You know, outdo each other, beat each other. Does that mean that ethical AI becomes a myth or something that that is not uh, focused on uh, enough? What What do you think, Merv? Uh, I don't think it's a myth. I think if I thought it was a myth, I wouldn't be, you know, chasing 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 a myth. Yeah, I think. I seriously think that if you're uh, looking at this from a business perspective, there are incentives. Uh, one. I, I, sh I should put it out there. It's like, don't throw AI and AI solutions to every every problem. Uh, just because you can, don't do it. But having said that, um, if if you're a company providing AI solutions or looking to implement AI solutions, uh, there's definitely incentives of doing this ethically and responsibly, uh, especially in this world of. Um, news spreading quickly, you know, social media and your consumer base being really uh, responsive to uh, to things. Um, you don't want to be on the wrong, one, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Uh, and second, uh, a, a responsible development, ethical development uh, has its impact on the bottom line. And personally, I really think that if you're able to align your values or like organizational company values to your product, and there are examples of those companies who are very successful, I think you can actually make a brand differentiation with that as well. Definitely, definitely a brand differentiation and something that as people learn more about it and become more aware, it's something that, that um, the market is gonna start to demand more and more of it. Uh, and do you have any examples where it has helped the bottom line of the of the company? Uh, yes, I'm not going to name names because yep. I, I, totally I, I, yep. I don't want to be endorsing any any, any product. Uh, but there has been no, there has I have come across multiple companies where uh, the the founders or the CEO really believes in responsible development, responsible innovation. Uh, so they were very involved in you know making sure that their teams their processes their whole development cycle as well as the implementation cycle was well documented responsible reviewed multiple times so they were like uh, unleashing anything out to the wild before like being really uh, confident with their product and even then they had all this like feedback channels open uh, for if, if something that they hadn't foreseen has uh, would come that feedback channel was out and they also opened their um, their algorithms and their source code to third party uh, I'm not suggesting that that is uh, that should be applicable to every single company but I think if you're uh, if you really trust your product and uh, and want to make a better product out of it you know those third party audits and reviews are certainly uh, uh, one way of doing this as well that's really good. And how about in the in terms of the development of, of the product and, and the AI? Have you seen some approaches that have been more successful in in making uh, ethical AI and, and uh, introducing more fairness and less bias? Uh, yeah, and I think it, a lot of it starts with data and, and like understanding understanding the problem itself and understanding your outcomes, what you want to get out of that. 
and then going back before you collect anything, before you you know uh, start working on any data, trying to understand the context of the problem. So if you're talking about you know housing, understanding you know if you're talking about U.S. I know you're in Australia, uh, but in in U.S. you need to understand the history of redlining and discriminatory like housing and lending practices. You need to understand the eviction policies here. Uh, you need to understand how like credit scores build into that. Um, if if you're thinking about um, you know doing anything about schools, you know AI for you know school performance, etc. You need to understand how the data might be impacted to its uh, in inner city versus you know suburban schools and where that is coming from and like some of the historical segregation and how that. You know, tie, ties in with the funding, etc. So, before you even collect any any data or work, start working on any data, just understanding that that context um, and talking to people who actually have been involved uh, in this issue in this problem before, and trying to get their perspectives, uh, and then you know, start going into the development and obviously, you know, every single stage of that development from, you know, data collection, pre-processing, training, model, your features, your, you know, uh, validation stuff, every single step of the way, you know, making sure that you're reviewing uh, and everyone is like voicing their concerns, etc. Um, Makes sense. So, so do you think that starting with the, the importance of starting with the context is to understand the biases that exist in the in in I guess in the world as it has been in society, and then how that's captured in the data. And by understanding those biases before going into the the data preparation and modeling phases, then a developer uh, would be more aware of the of the biases as they start to come up in the algorithm and be able to correct for them uh, is that is that sort of the one of the main aims of understanding it is one of the main aims and you're looking at you know the different angles certainly understanding your data better and you know understanding how that data might be biased and you know if, if possible correcting for it or looking at different data point you know different data sets and uh, but also understanding okay what has been tried like if you're talking with the experts on Irrelevant AI outside of your outside of your project team. If you're talking to experts, subject matter experts, or people who have been working on this issue for you know lo longer than your data scientist, mm -hmm. you also get an understanding of what kind of solutions were brought in previously to solve this question. Yes. So you're not trying to uh, you know dis discover the same thing or uh, work on the same thing again. Know, understanding that and we always talk about you know different perspectives diverse teams etc you might not always um, have a diverse team inside the organization mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be going out outside of your organization and get that feedback and kind of talk to the people who are impact who might be impacted by this and like understanding that that when we're talking about ethical and responsible way that encompasses everything right so you start like you're heavy on the first end for me you're very heavy on the first end um and then work, work through that understanding that rather than bringing in a uh a data scientist who doesn't see 
you know, who's only looking at the data, but nothing else, not, not, not the history of it, not the current issues of it or uh, other problems that might not be in the data. Yeah, exactly. That's so important. And tell me a little bit about the, the reviews that you were talking about throughout the, the project. Um, I see that as, a, as another area where getting outside help um, would, would really help uh, focus on the, the key components or maybe help drive workshops. What, what does that, that review process look like uh, in your experience when, when people are working on, on AI that they want to be fair and ethical? Um, it looks like, one, it, it starts with the capacity building and understanding the different project management uh, styles. So every, every organization has their, uh, is using a different uh, project management methodology, right? So you can't really bring in one single thing and like apply. So it is very much sitting down with the team or the project manager and understanding what the organization methodology is and their their processes and what the team structure is and kind of work through that and once you know the team structure you know kind of work through okay does this work for my responsibles and like what who are you missing in this team and what they can contribute to it uh, and then looking at you know working with the whole team in terms of okay when we're looking at this step you know when you're talking about, okay, these are the features that we're going to use, or this is, these are what outcome looks like, or what success looks like on the other end. You know, this is what, you know, is this accuracy level enough or not, whatever. You know, just having that, building that trust within the team, uh, and then giving everyone the ability to review their, uh, to review the product in every, or the life cycle in every step. And also, something that is usually missed, especially on the startup area, like when you're fighting against time mm -hmm. and resources as documentation, uh -huh. uh, especially on the AI side, you make that decisions uh, very quickly, sometimes without actually having, you know, discussed the consequences and then become as like unintended consequences. Uh, a lot of the time, those unintended consequences, uh, could have been mitigated or could have been foreseen or mitigated if you had the space to discuss this or had the space and the tools to review this stuff. Uh, so a lot of that review is actually, you know, not rushing through things, but having this like ethics canvas in front of you and asking the right questions. Exactly. And I think that leads us to AI governance. Um, during the, the development and, and deployment and when, once it's in, in production. Um, what are your views on, on AI governance? Uh, who, who owns it in the organization? Um, and, and how do we create that space for data scientists to be able to have those, those reviews uh, during the, the creation process? So when we say AI governance, I want to split that to, you know, self or soft governance uh, versus hard governance. Hard governance is uh, where you would talk about legislation and fines and penalties and constraints that are that become that come with the with, the, with regulation or regulators. Uh, so that's that's not there uh, in pretty much any country. I mean, okay, GDPR is. Uh, you know, you have GDPR in EU, uh, you have impact assessments to a certain extent in Canada. Um, 
and in in California, not the U.S., but in California, you have the Consumer Privacy Act, etc. But that hard governance is very much la lacking across the board uh, globally. Uh, but to your question, inside the organization, whose responsibility is AI governance? I, I would say everyone, but it definitely starts at the C-level before anyone else. The C-level commitment is first and leaders being models to the rest of the organization, rest of the employees in terms of the priorities, their actions. It's about embedding those organizational values and principles into your model, into your processes and procedures, your hiring practices, your incentives, into the culture of your organization. I don't know if you've read it, but uh, there's a famous Peter Drucker quote. Uh, he's a management, uh, uh, management guru. Uh, he says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you might, as, as you know, you might, have your whole strategy of like five-year, 10-year plan. This is what, what our product is going to do. This is what we're doing. Uh, but if, if, you're, if the culture of your organization hasn't bought up, has bought into uh, that priority and action, and that if that hasn't come, hasn't been supported by the C-level, there is no way that you're going to um, succeed in that. So governance, it's everyone's. Uh, responsibility to be responsible and have an ethical approach, uh, but it definitely is starts with, with culture as well. You know, it's you as a data scientist or developer might uh, develop an amazing uh, product, but if your sales team uh, is reflecting that in 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 a wrong way, in an unethical way, or selling, uh, trying to sell a product that doesn't work for a client, that's also it goes into ethics. Um, if your customers are, or if you haven't trained your clients properly on, you know, some of the constraints or issues, or possible issues with with the product, uh, then that lack of training, lack of implementation training, is is also an ethics thing. Uh, if you're not providing that feedback uh, from your clients, from the end user, from people being impacted and building that feedback to like monitoring the impact and building that feedback back to your product. That's also goes into ethics and responsible uh, development. So it's the whole like end-to-end -end cycle and end-to-end -end, uh, company uh, culture. That's great. That's great. Cause um, yeah, at, at my, in my at my day job, we've been discussing this, and um, I'm I'm a head of data science, and uh, my team and I created the the eth like the model governance framework for for um, ethical AI, and um, we are implementing those processes in our teams, but we we're also um, trying to encourage the other the rest of the organization to be a part of it as as stakeholders and users and and uh, a lot of these products, these AI products, are um, presented as the whole company's products. So they definitely need to be involved and take responsibility. So I'm glad. I'm glad to hear your your views. That um, I'm definitely gonna let them know that that's. <laughs> that's <laughs> Thank <right>. you. <laughs> um, and I mean, if, if if something is successful, it's like, yeah, we did this as a team. If something goes wrong, it was the developer, it was the data scientist. <laughs> <laughs> So true. <laughs> yes. Um, and we have a, a question from Simon uh, who says, are the main ethical questions 
ones of ensuring representative samples um, uh, across across the board and trying to avoid misrepresentation of of what the models get to see, um, and essentially avoiding misrepresenting the intended customer, user, or target. Is it um, is it about having the statistical samples across each of the categories that you that you care about, or is there is there more to it? There is more to it. I mean, data and, you know, the biases that are involved uh, that are in, in the data, whether it's like representation or selection bias or any, any bias that you might be, uh, you know, par parity. It's like anything that is, has re is related to data is, is, is the main factor in it. But going back to what I said about, you know, just because you can, should you, you know, one of the examples of this is predictive policing, right? So it starts with, it's not a data question uh, at, at the beginning. It's more about, you know, intended uh, outcomes and values of uh, what you're using this for. So if you're trying to predict someone, uh, someone's, I want to say risk or possibility of uh, committing a crime before that happens, uh, you're taking away that person that, you know, that person's autonomy, that person's dignity, that person's, uh, you know, the whole legal due process, et cetera. So you're trying to bring in this, this, this algorithm where uh, you're really imp not only impacting someone's life, uh, mm -hmm. especially, um, you know, with all the other data stuff and the, and, and the bias that goes with it, uh, but also, should you be like, why are we not giving people the benefit of that? Can you, if you committed a crime uh, in, 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 in the past, you know, are you always a criminal? Uh, don't you have the dignity of, you know, um, of that one-time failure? Can you not become a better citizen, a better person, a better father or mother, whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we not give you that, that option at the end of the day a lot of these algorithms about are about um defining a worthiness for someone so yep. you know are, are you worthy of gone you know being a free citizen are you worthy of being hired are you worthy of are you worthy of uh being given a credit or are you worthy of being admitted to a, a, a college it's like, and, it, and the list goes on right uh, so you as a data scientist, as a developer, as a project team are defining worthiness and I would like to be really careful at the beginning. So this doesn't have anything to do with data. This is about the values, the principles, the, the concept and uh, what you want to bring into, in, 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 into society, right? Exactly, exactly. And I really like that you, that you take that approach um, that, you know, one, one mistake shouldn't define uh, your entire life, and that, and that the the decisions that the algorithms are making are are important to each individual who is being touched by these decisions. And the algorithm could be making hundreds of thousands of these decisions per day, um, but but each person is going to have the the experience of of being told that they're worthy or unworthy of of whatever they're seeking. So it's it's a really important. Uh, piece to keep in mind that the human impact behind these um, these technologies that's at the at, at, at end of the day you know it's like you're, you're talking about power right you're talking about 
uh, imposing powers, whether that is a private company's power like big tech or uh, imposing power of a state or government uh, on its citizens. So again, going back to predictive policing and you know data issues, um, not only the concept itself, but as a data scientist, you know you might have done all your all your work about you know the data, understanding the representations, understanding you know making sure all all um, protected classes etc are represented in your data. You understood the stuff. Um, you know you 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 you've done everything you could for like a fair outcome. Yeah. As, as much as I don't I don't believe in the whole predictive policing thing, but hold, let's hold on to that for a second. The previous step before that, before that becomes data, is um, you know incentive mechanisms within within policing, incentive mechanisms that mm -hmm. work between you know the state policing versus federal policing, and you know what are the you know are you juking your stats? You know like is the police department for say um, Sydney uh, trying to meet certain a performance benchmarks and performing certain you know, arrest numbers, etc., so to, to be able to get their budget for next year or to be able to get certain grants for equipment, etc. Because that is the case in 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 US. You know that your police departments are uh, measured against certain statistics, and the budget and the grants that they get uh, are tied to their to that to those statistics. So. Uh, just because you can get that you're going into certain neighborhoods and arresting more people and you know for for good or right or for like petty crime etc so you're changing those stats right and then you as a good built data scientist or developer or coming into this project without knowing the you know politics behind it uh, are kind of contributing to the whole system if I may yeah. say so yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. And by by um, through by being unaware of of the reality of the situation and the the incentives behind the metrics or the incentives that the metrics create, you are blindly contributing. That's so true. Um, what suggestions would you have for people that want to make a change in their organizations and encourage them to? to become more focused on, on AI ethics? Um, I would say be intentional about it to mm. start with. Mm. And if, if you're, a, if, like I said, if you're a C-level executive, the founders, if you're in a startup where you're making like decisions, where you're involved in the decision-making system, try to be the model and walk, 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 if you really believe in responsible and ethical decision making and development, you know, walk the talk. Um, you know, don't throw, you know, don't try to. If someone has brought has brought some concerns to you, you know, don't dismiss them out of hand. You know, giving that voice to the people who who can bring in concerns, creating that space and tools where anyone uh, can bring a concern about the product. Uh, you know the, the potential consequences down the line can can bring so and they don't have to go the route of whistleblowers you know uh, if, if you set this right uh, if you're intentional about this and if you set this right you shouldn't you know there shouldn't even be a need for whistleblower policies or protections and also giving the space to people to learn uh, I understand like the 
deadlines and the time constraints and trying to hit the market uh, as soon as possible. And the, the concept of, you know, launch and then reiterate, reiterate, and you know, like you can break it first and then you, you'll come back to fix it maybe. Uh, a lot yeah. of times not. <laughs> uh, you know, changing that mindset and be intentional about understanding what you're breaking and what you're um, shaking and before you launch things. Yes, mm, I think I think that's that's really good, really good advice. Um, and I know um, I wanted to ask you with 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 everything that you've done in your career and and oh and with everything that you're um, amazingly juggling at the moment, uh, that's which is incredible. What what are you what are you most proud of uh, that you've done in your career? So I'll go back to um, my time at, at diversity recruitment. So I was the mm -hmm. first person into that role, and I was per first person to have the role of campus diversity recruitment for for Bank of America, mm -hmm. and that was across like twenty something countries. So I would be me and my team would be traveling to you know colleges across Europe, Middle East, um, Africa, and hold workshops, career coaching, you know, career fairs, etc. And on one hand, I had my, you know, numbers of, oh, we got to increase, you know, the applicant pool, the diverse of the applicant pool, we got to you know, hire this many students, we got to do like hire this many students into, into this business, etc. Uh, and now you're talking to the students and you're listening to their passion and 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 their strengths and you're like no <laughs> you're, you're you really uh you know don't want to be in this environment and i say this with a with the utmost love for my previous job you know it's uh investment banking is has a lot of issues has a lot of ethical issues and trading uh, but also has amazing smart people. So I learned a lot of what I've learned on, on HR and HR technology stuff in, in that environment. Uh, but what I'm proud of it is not trying to cold sell, you know, different jobs uh, to the students and, you know, actually sitting down with them and said, what makes you excited? What motivates you? You know, what are your strengths? How are, where do you see yourself in, in, in five years? If you were in this position, you would be doing this. Is this going to make you happy? Mm -hmm. And kind of take it case by case. Um, I think it's definitely worked out for my sanity. And, you know, I'm able to sleep uh, at, at nights. But I also get a lot of feedback from the people, from the students that I used to, you know, coach that i talked even now that it's like hey I just finished my phd or hey i just got promoted in this company you know it's like they're still keeping in touch and I, that that makes a difference for me right yeah that makes would make a huge a huge difference that that is incredible and and tell me where um where can people uh, find you online and follow your work. Um, is there anything that, that, that people can do to, to get involved? Where, um, where's the places to go? Uh, definitely LinkedIn. So my main presence, as you might <laughs> see from my post, is uh, LinkedIn, keeping busy there. Um, but also, if you're interested in anything that has to do with AI, ethics, bias, explainability, 
um, you know, principles, ethical principles, national strategies, etc. I would definitely channel time to 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 the website to aiethicist.org, and that is really not about you know that doesn't have anything to do with any for-profit thing. That is literally a platform for any researchers or anyone who's coming in to understand this better. And if if I'm missing anything, feel free to ping me and say, hey, this is relevant for this and might be relevant for other people coming in. Um, I love it. I love it. Ah, oh, look at this. We got a, two questions came in at the same time. This is great. Um, Natalie asks, what are the top three resources and or books that Merv would recommend to anyone willing to learn more about ethics in AI? I would definitely say... Uh, Shoshana Zuboff, um, Surveillance Capitalism, start with that, that's the thick one behind me. Mm -hmm. Design Justice from Sasha Costanza, so your understanding, you know, we, we talked about ethical design and responsible development, so Design Justice is definitely a, a methodology that I strongly believe in. Um, and if, if you're also coming in from, you know, what AI can do, what some of the issues with what we talked about, the data, you know, background of data, techno-chauvinism, throwing AI solutions, etc. Uh, I would definitely suggest Ruha Benjamin's Race After Technology uh, to understand both, uh, you know, what data can cause issues and also the, the, the techno-solution side um, and how to avoid that. So those would be my top three. That's great. Can you um, say the name of the first one again? Shoshana Zuboff, Surveillance Capitalism. Nice. And we'll include them in the show notes as well. And the, um, the last comment is from Simon. He says, thank you. Predictive policing and the concept of worthiness and gaming for personal benefit based off AI results. This was really clear, very well put, and really interesting. Can I do one more plug? Um, so a sure. couple of weeks ago, David Ryan Polger, All Tech Human, All Tech is Human, and about 25 of us as contributors. So we just launched the Responsible Tech Guide. Um, it's online. It, it is, if you go to my you know, posts, you can see that, all, or if you Google Responsible Tech Guide, you can uh, see that as well. Um, if you're new to this and if you want to do more about you know, responsible innovation, responsible tech, AI ethics, um, there's a it's like 160 pages plus resources, career profiles, recommendations, etc. So I strongly recommend that. Wow, that is fantastic. Um, that was, you know, it was great effort to put it together and the outcome is, uh, I think is pretty good as well. Yeah, it looks like a huge amount of work. Uh, well, well done. Um, and with a lot of really interesting contributors how um, how long were you uh, working on this and involved in it? Uh, well, it was like I said, it's uh, David kicked it off, and it was I want to say twenty five or thirty of us that worked yeah. at it for more than a month uh, from all over the world and contributors from all over the world. It was like amazing to see it come together. But yes. I think that's also what responsible tech is about, you know, open source collaboration, keeping each other in check and keeping each other honest um, and, you know, sharing the, the experiences. 
That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And we'll, we'll include that link in the show notes as well. Merv, I want to thank you so much for your time today. The, thank you. Yeah, your, your journey and all your work is inspirational and your explanations, as we heard from, from Simon there, they, they really capture uh, people's hearts and minds with the, with the clarity and the elegant, how elegant your descriptions are. So thank you. Thank you so much for um, helping us be better AI ethicists. I'm humbled by that. I, I appreciate the space and opportunity, Felipe. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for joining. Thank you. Definitely well, come back to the next one. Take care. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.